Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Patriot Nation Podcast, presented by Pat's Pulpit. Hello and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. It's Matt St. Jean here. No Pat Lane tonight. He is uh, he's busy with some parent-teacher conferences. Uh, I'm joined right now by the lovely Chad Graff, the Patriots beat writer over at the Ever at the Athletic. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thanks for having me. This is fun to be here. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for coming on. I got a burning question for you right off the bat here. And I think this is this is right at the front of my mind right now. When you go to your Twitter account at the top, it says oh perpetual seeker of a good old fashioned. What <laughs> makes a good old fashioned? Oh, God, a lot of things make a good old fashioned. Or I should say a lot of things make a bad old fashioned where like sometimes I'll walk in a restaurant and look around like, oh, no, I, I don't think this is the spot to get one. Not a big fan of like the old school muddled uh, cherries when like the cherries are all kind of floating around, not a fan of that. Um, you got to go with one ice cube, the, the big solid, like whiskey ice cube. Don't love when it's just a bunch of like crushed ice for a vodka soda or something. Um, outside of that, I'm not too picky. Of course, love a good little orange peel and, and the fancy mm-hmm. places that uh, will even like burn the orange peel to let it drop in. Awesome. But doesn't have to be that nice. I'm just looking to avoid like the gross muddled cherries and, uh, and the type of bar that only has like the, you know, one one ice option. Which I love that kind of bar. I'm just ordering something different from than an old fashioned. Yeah, no, I think the the single big ice cube is it is key. You need that. <laughs> uh, any particular whiskey you're going with for it? Boy, I bounced around a lot. I've been on an Elijah Craig kick recently. A little four roses just to keep things, you know not going to anything fancy if i could have whatever i wanted love blanton's but obviously that is uh in a price range that i'm not um typically working with so uh you know try to that four roses kind of level is where i'm usually flying i like that that's a good one i think i've had uh, i think it's high key whiskey something like that i think that's what i've got on my bar right now which is a good one i haven't tried it in an old-fashioned so i might have to do that after yeah this. give that a whirl after yeah Let's uh, let's talk uh, a little bit of Patriot stuff here. This is your first year now covering the team. You're out with the Vikings. What's it like being back and covering the Patriots now? Gosh, it's it's a whirlwind. Um, I made the move from Minnesota to cover the Patriots. Basically, I can't even remember. It might have been the week that training camp started because I think I missed the very first training camp practice or the first few even. So it was right in the heart of all of that, which was nuts to be moving halfway across the country in training camp um, with the family. I've got a wife and young daughter. Uh, so and and of course, the dogs were packing all that up, trying to drive across the country. Um, so things were a little bit crazy from that end. But in terms of like the actual football, I've been surprised, I think, on two levels. One is how similar locker rooms are like I, I came in hearing that the Patriots do additional media training and cut down on what players can say and can't say and all of that. By and large, I found the locker room to be any other locker room. It's got players who are friendly to deal with players who aren't totally their prerogative. Great. Um, But just, just another locker room. The part that it has been super, super different 
is I went from starting to cover the Kevin O'Connell, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa regime in Minnesota, where their buzzword that they used 15 times a day in every press conference was collaboration. We're going to work together. We're going to incorporate tons of voices, analytics, scouts who have been here forever, assistant coaches. Everybody's going to have a say in this and determine what we do. And then I come to New England where it is very centered around one person and one person decides what we do um, and everything flows through that one person. So that's been kind of the biggest organizational change um, from doing Minnesota to now coming to New England. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the collaborative nature of it versus the one person making decisions. Uh, You had an article this week talking about Mac Jones and the offense, and you were talking about the coaching situation there. From the outside, it appears like it has been very collaborative with Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, and Bill Belichick. Uh, What's your read on that situation, the decision-making powers there, and how that's played out this year? Well, it's fascinating because – Everything for so long has flowed through Bill Belichick. Josh McDaniels eventually, of course, earned a little more um, leeway to do what he pleased just because of how long he was here. But everything goes through Bill Belichick here. Um, it is It amazes me just hearing stories about how small of things and how, you know, minute things that I would generally not think of as a head coach or GM responsibilities. He's still dealing with all of that. Um, And yet given that, I do think that Matt Patricia has been given leeway to do what he wants, run what he wants, obviously meets with Bill Belichick every week and comes up with a game plan together and goes over schemes. But uh, Matt Patricia's had a decent amount of say in this. And I think if you start looking for, Uh, as the second half goes on for either culprits to blame if the offense does not play well or uh, someone to applaud if it does. I think you kind of have to start with Matt Patricia. Um, This is obviously an unconventional situation, shall we say, to say the least, uh, given his different job title and the fact that they won't call him offensive coordinator and the fact that he has such little experience on that side of the ball. Um, but I do think he, he gets a decent amount of say in, in everything that's happened. It's, it's an interesting situation all around because he's a guy who has a lot of experience. He was with the team in the past. He's had coordinator experience, but not on the offensive side of the ball. And it's just from the outside, obviously, it's there's a lot of question marks when you look at it. Um, I know Bill Belichick has also said the buck stops with him and the offense is on him. What do you think about that? It's interesting because he made a point of saying that before the season even began, like went to Dan Shaughnessy uh, mm-hmm. and made it very clear, like, hey, this is anything that happens, you can blame me, um, which I thought was interesting. To me, it kind of was done a little bit to take some of the pressure off of um, Matt Patricia's. He gets going and to alleviate some of that, thinking that, yeah, there's probably going to be some growing pains. I don't think that even Bill Belichick anticipated growing pains lasting as long as these have. Um, And so definitely noteworthy that he said that. Um, But to me, it feels a little bit like he's sticking up for his friend, uh, one of his most trusted advisors and and kind of um, giving him an out there. Okay. Because that, I mean, providing that cover, I think does absolutely make sense. You're not bringing Matt Patricia back in unless you already liked him and thought he could do the job, but also they're not giving him the coordinator title. Nobody really has a coordinator title on this Patriots team on either side of the ball there, which is certainly an unconventional way of handling everything. And like Bill says, the buck does stop with him. Um, You, your most recent article there with Ted Wynn talking about Mac Jones and the offense. It's a great read for anybody that has the athletic. I suggest you guys go read that right now, but what was kind of the, the gist of the conversation? What were your takeaways there? Yeah, Ted is incredible. And um, for those who aren't on Twitter, he is kind of a, a film guru on Twitter who breaks down various plays and has a column in The Athletic every week, um, just breaking down plays over the weekend that he found interesting schemes, aspects, trends, what have you. Um, so I asked him for a favor over the buy, basically, and said, hey, Um, To me, this feels like a combination of when you're looking at Mac Jones regression, a combination of 
kind of, I think, a number of things. But I'm curious, Ted, because it feels to me like the biggest culprit is Matt Patricia, the scheme which, you know, is leading to horrible spacing with the wide receivers and um, not making it easy for him, but also just the play calls, the rhythm, the leaning away from what he did well a year ago. Um, tell me what you think. So he spent some time over the Patriots bye week and looking at everything. Uh, and it was just interesting to hear all of his conclusions. There's no, I think, one reason why Mac Jones is regressing or why the offense is not playing well. The offensive line has been bad. Fair reason. Mac Jones has been the second worst quarterback uh, per EPA per dropback when pressured. So combining that with a bad offensive line, well, hey, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> average offensive line play that helps the offense drastically. So that's one culprit. Mac Jones himself, another culprit. Um, I think the way that this has gone, he, it seems to me, just from the last couple of games, is starting to lose a little bit of faith in the offensive line where he was starting to bail um, from pockets that were not collapsing perhaps as quickly as he thought, uh, ran into a sack, and, and, you know, let's face it, has just made one or two throws that he definitely wants back. Um, and then there's the scheme, the play calling, and all of that. And so I think if you're trying to sort blame in, in different buckets, um, that Matt Patricia bucket probably fills up the fastest, but there's plenty of it to go around. Yeah, that is absolutely for sure. It's an offense that has taken a big step back this year. Uh, you had also noted in there that the offensive line was banged up during training camp, which will kind of hurt the, the ability for the chemistry to come together. And one of the thoughts I had watching that Colts game where you watch the Patriots defense really just do whatever they wanted with the Colts offensive line and the pass rush getting there very quickly. And then you look at the reverse with the Patriots offensive line giving stuff up and you think back to what to what Mac had to deal with this summer. How are you supposed to develop when you've got that pass rush that you're facing every single day with that offensive line? Just an awful combination. And I think that definitely explains a little bit of why he looks so skittish out there. And I think it's easy to get labeled like a Mac Jones apologist, but I think just put yourself in his shoes um, going all the way back to, let's say, March, basically, probably February, March. And I think that if you do that and run through everything that's happened, you probably come away with a little bit of sympathy for um, his situation. Obviously, it's easy to say he makes millions of dollars. He plays football for a living. Um, he's fine. Sure. Agreed. But. Go back to February. He lost the offensive coordinator who he worked with every day who helped him become the best rookie quarterback in the NFL. He then finds out that the guy was guys replacing um, that voice are two guys who have never called plays, who have never been offensive coordinators, and who have barely worked on that side of the ball in the NFL. This is a guy who was um, a high school standout who then goes to play at one of the most prolific, probably the most prolific college football program for the uh, best coach of this generation then goes and plays for Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. Like he has had this setup with very good coaching throughout. And then all of a sudden he shows up to these first few mini camps OTAs. And I got to think he's looking around like, wait a second. What, what has happened that these are the guys who are going to be in my ear and working with me every day. And um, they a weren't calling plays a year ago or offensive coordinators. They weren't even scheming up the offenses. And then you go forward, even once they kind of get their idea of a playbook under them, he doesn't have his offensive line due to injuries throughout training camp. Um, he's, you know, in these um, joint practices where they're going full speed. The offensive line is you know, struggling against uh, the teams that were here for that. And so, it just felt like he never had a chance to take a breath and really grow. And I think that's shown. And then of course you add all of that to the fact that the Patriots are spending so much money on wide receiver and tight end. And what do they have to show for it? Their best guy is about to get paid in the off season, Jacoby Myers from them or from someone else. Their tight ends have not been involved at all. Nelson Aguilar has not been what they thought. Tyquan Thornton, I think has had some moments, but, if you go back, you're putting yourself in Mac Jones's shoes. He was out the first four games. Kendrick Bourne is surprisingly benched from the start. So, like, it's just a, a bizarre, weird situation that I think it, if you look at through the lens of Mac Jones, I think you walk away being like, 
it, it's not entirely shocking giving all of that that he's struggled I don't think even given all that he would have struggled to this degree you look at all the stats like for the Pats are playing the Jets this week so I'm kind of going through all the Jet stuff Zach Wilson is terrible he's bad across the board but as you're looking at those stats be like boy Zach Wilson stinks here he stinks here one of the names next to him in every ranking Mac Jones Zach Wilson Mac Jones Zach Wilson like they've been pretty much the same quarterback this year which um, is a frightening thought for the Patriots yeah, and Mac just had his first game without a pick since the Jacksonville game last year. I believe that was week 16, which that's just that's too long of a streak to be turning the ball over. It, you're never going to be winning like that. And I think in the piece you talked about, and Dan Orlovsky had a video breaking down the Patriots offense too, it's shocking the number of mental mistakes that you see, both from the offensive line and the receivers. And it's, you put it all together, no wonder the quarterback doesn't feel comfortable back there. And I think... The receivers have have lost five fumbles this year, been a couple interceptions that have been on miscommunications or guys running the wrong routes, guys doing it at the wrong depths. And none of that feels like the Patriots, like the, the kind of the myth behind the name there. It feels like a very ordinary NFL team for the first time in a while. Well, and here's the especially, I think, concerning thing is Next year is a massive, massive year for Mac Jones, um, which feels weird to say because uh, it'll only be year three, but that's kind of how um, it, it works in the NFL. When you have that uh, first round pick where you have the fifth year option for those guys, you have to decide after year three. And so, you know, if this ends the way that it has started, I think you take a step back. Look, he was really good as a rookie. He wasn't so good in his second year. I think that means in year three, you have to surround him and give him a chance, surround him with better pieces, surround him with better weapons. Uh, and yet the wide receiver class in free agency stinks. Jacoby Myers is probably the best free agent wide receiver. Um, are you going to use your first round pick on a wide receiver and just hope for the best from a rookie again? Maybe, but recent um, results haven't been great. Are you going to run back uh, with Matt Patricia and Joe judge? Maybe because they, you know, have been as close to Belichick as they have, but it's not exactly leading to much success. So I just don't know what the answer is beyond. And I know we've got a lot to discuss, uh, I guess, with the Jets and the rest of the season, but I'm curious, what do you think about the big picture with what potentially they do in the off season to try to, I guess, have a clearer picture of Mac Jones before you have to make a decision on that fifth year option? Well, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place here in that, the guys around him don't seem to be getting the job done, but you don't want to be in a situation where your quarterback in his third year has his third offensive coordinator and where he's got two or three new starters on the offensive line and where you're spending big money on pass catchers again, trying to solve it. It's it's I don't, I don't know what the answer is here. I think, I think really the only answer is to kind of get whatever it is you do right. Like it sounds kind of silly, but it doesn't really matter how you address it. You have to make the right decisions this offseason because if you don't, you're going to have kind of wasted a first-round pick on a quarterback and you're going to be hitting the reset button for the whole thing. I think that right tackle spot or left tackle spot, depending on how they address it, is going to be a huge need. Probably going to have to use your first-round pick there if there's somebody worth it. And then you just see how things fall from there. Um, but... Really, I think the best case scenario is for things to kind of come together a little bit over the back half of the season here and to get some of these answers to find out if some of these guys should be sticking around next year. Do you think do you think we're going to see that happen? Do you think we're going to see a little bit of growth out of the bye? Uh, yes and no. So here's where I'm kind of at as I've been thinking about that is I do think that the floor is so low right now that I, I think the offense has to get better. And yet... I don't think it's going to happen very quickly. The Jets have a top five defense. The Bills have a top five defense. So two of the next three Patriots opponents um, are just insanely good defenses that could slow down a quarterback who is playing well, who's playing in rhythm, who has faith in receivers and coordinators and offensive line. Think about what they can and could do to uh, a quarterback who has none of those things. So I do think that there's reasons – it could get better. I just, I think we may see that kind of on the back stretch of this season um, because coming out of the bye, I, 
I, I've been so impressed by this Robert Sala defense, um, by what Leslie Frazier is doing. And, you know, I, I don't think that Leslie Frazier gets enough credit. He should be getting um, more interviews to have another shot of the head coach and give the defense that he has put together in Buffalo while Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen get all the credit. Like that, that is just an awesome, awesome defense. And so it, I think it should concern the Patriots what the offense is going to look like in two of these first three games with those opponents. And um, if the, if the defense plays as the number one defense as they are in EPA per play, then great. You're going to be in all these games, but I think it's a bigger ask for a defense to be sustainable over several games than it is an offense. And so that I think is what concerns me at least coming out of these first few games. Yeah, two or three good players on offense can win you games. You really need all 11 on defense to be playing well, especially when you're going against a guy like Josh Allen twice down the stretch here. Um, I want to talk about the offensive line for a second because in practice the other day, at least the reports were that Trent Brown, he was there but not practicing or practicing a little bit with win back at left tackle, could just at right tackle. Can you Can you shed any more light on what's going on there? Not really. It's, it's interesting um, that they, I think, are willing to try Yadni at right tackle and um, do whatever they can. But Trent Brown is not on the injury report, and I don't think they're going to take Trent Brown out of the game. So if I had to guess, I think that's just kind of getting a look at Yadni and potentially having Isaiah as a super flexible guy who can go from left guard to left tackle to right tackle. Um, It's fascinating to me that they have tried as many different combinations as they have. I'm used to covering bad offensive lines. I I was in Minnesota for several years. Uh, But one thing that they never did was switch around the offensive line. They kind of picked five and tried to, coach up that unit and put value on the continuity and knowing who is playing next to you um, in a way that the Patriots aren't. I don't know that one is the right answer over the other, but it's just interesting and curious to me that they're still tinkering with this. When, if you go back and put yourselves in the shoes of July, I think we all probably would have said that the offensive line is, and at least should be a strength of this team. Yeah, I think, on paper, this offensive line shouldn't be worse than average. And I think Isaiah Wynn regressing as hard as he did is a shock to everybody. I can't imagine the people on the team saw this coming. Andrews also, the age is starting to show just a little bit there. And Strange is going up against a rookie wall. I think, I think kind of the buy here is this is the last point where you can really tinker with it and try to set something for down the stretch. We'll see if what they put together ends up working. And like you said, that's a Jets defense that, that they'll, they'll bring a pass rush. So we'll find out really quickly if this offensive line can be up to the task against something like that. Which, I mean, makes me think that between the way that Mac Jones has struggled against pressure, the way that Zach Wilson has struggled against pressure, makes me think that this could be like an off-the-charts ugly game, like Iowa playing uh, Minnesota. <laughs> we, we get that game on Saturday where I think the over-under is like 33 points. This one kind of feels like that. Like I, I, I wish there was a prop bet of what has more points scored, uh, Iowa-Minnesota on Saturday or New England-New York on Sunday. <laughs> I, I might be taking the over on safeties or defensive <laughs> yeah, points in yeah. this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, last game, um, there was nearly that pick six, of course, that looked so bad for Mac Jones. Uh, I got to think that the odds for a defensive touchdown are – are different uh, for this one than they are for, say, Kansas City and, and Buffalo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is going to be it's going to be one of those games on Sunday. I think uh, you mentioned obviously you covered Minnesota. You talked about the offensive line up there. What you covered, you also covered Kirk Cousins and Mac Jones has lo- has drawn a lot of comparisons to Kirk Cousins. I don't necessarily agree with them from what I've seen. I wanted to get your thoughts though. Yeah, so it's not a comparison that I put a lot of stock into, I think, because they, well, they do definitely um, have some similarities. I think there are three massive differences 
in their game that I hope I can keep straight uh, for the rest of this ramble. But one, I think let's start with situational awareness. That is where Kirk Cousins um, has really, really struggled. And I think as you know, his reputation has been built on that where it'll be third and 11 and he'll throw it three yards past the line of scrimmage to somebody who's covered because in his eyes, that's where my reads take me. He's very robotic in there's my first read. There's my second. Neither are open. Even though there's 10 seconds left and we're down by four, I'm not going to force it to them because my third read is over here. Um, If you're in a great offensive scheme that, you know, makes people open and the quarter or the coordinator or coach just wants you boom, boom, boom. There's your reads, make the right read, throw the ball. Uh, That can be awesome. Kyle Shanahan, maybe the best or one of the best coaches uh, offensively. And and maybe even as a head coach loves Kirk cousins, wanted Kirk cousins before he got Jimmy G because that that's what he's looking for in that offense. And Kirk cousins is so, so good at that. Um, Doesn't get enough credit. I think for a lot of things he does, he gets um, I think miscast as just a check down guy. That's not who he is. He checks down too often on, third and 11 or fourth and six and throws a two yard pass. That's where he's uh, really bad. I think that to Mac Jones's credit is where he is very good, or at least was last year and (laughs) and in college of having good situational awareness and knowing what to do with the ball. Um, I think where they differ, and this is to Kirk Cousins's credit is Kirk Cousins's floor is so high which is the reason that the Vikings went after him in the first place. Like, yes, he's limited in his ceiling is also quite low. There's not a whole lot of range and volatility that you're going to get season over season with Kirk Cousins. But to put yourself in the shoes of the Vikings coming off 2017 when they signed him, they had just gone to the NFC Championship game. This is the year that the Eagles beat them and then, of course, went on to um, beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. The Vikings I've repressed were... a lot of memories from that year. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have just stopped the NFC Championship game. <laughs> they didn't play uh, a Super Bowl. I, it was, I don't even know what state it was in. It couldn't have been Minnesota. <laughs> uh, the Vikings felt like, hey, we just need competent quarterback play with this defense from Mike Zimmer, and we're going to be there. And so they looked and said, Kirk Cousins has a massively high floor. That's where we'll go get him. I think Mac Jones has shown a little more volatility Um, obviously I think we see now his floor is not that high. Will it become that maybe? Um, but that's another difference. And I think the last difference between them and this one is more in Mac Jones's credit, um, is, and I'm trying to think of the best way to say this without completely disparaging Kirk Cousins, but Mac Jones is a super likable guy who players in the locker room gravitate toward and, um, want to be around and you know I, I think we've one of the interesting parts of the Viking season to me is the Vikings bet basically by hiring Kevin O'Connell who is a super likable guy gets along well with everybody has a great rapport um, they kept Kirk Cousins when I didn't think they would in part because it was a bet that Kevin O'Connell could bring out the best in Kirk Kevin O'Connell once said yeah I, part of my goal is to um help Kirk out both basically on the field and off the field. And so I think Kirk's getting better. You're seeing the chains on the plane that you never would have seen from him before. (laughs) Uh, He's made some strides in that area, but that's another spot that I think is, you know, if you're looking at the tallies, that's a check in the Mac Jones column. I think that kind of mental aspect and just, you can, you can see the ways teammates like him on the field and you can see why too, with his toughness, like, I mean, he takes shots, that he probably shouldn't be taking out there. And he will throw his body around the, in that first jets game. One thing I noticed was Mac took a shot kind of close to out of bounds. And he's got, the guy was flexing over him after the play and Taekwon Thornton is a rookie comes over and he's pushing guys away, protecting his quarterback. Like you can, you can tell how much even the new guys come in and like him right away. And even like all the press conferences, even though Mac has struggled, people constantly rave about how much they like him and how good he is behind the scenes. And, I think, I think when you put it all together, it tells me that Mac knows, like the, the mental side is there. It's just not translating to the football field. And that's that's where the breakdown is right now. Yeah, and I just, gosh, the more I think about it, the more I don't know exactly how or when it gets better. 
Um, I think that Vikings game is an opportunity. Um, their defense has not been very good, but part of Kevin O'Connell's whole belief is, and this kind of leads into a separate fascinating discussion about the league, is he wants to take away your deep passes, limit your passing game as much as possible, and if you can run it on the Vikings, he'll tip his cap and say, good, keep doing it. We are going to bet that you're not going to be able to string this together because of how difficult it is to pull off a successful run play. We don't think that you're going to have the patience or the ability to do this uh, for not just a whole drive, but then another drive and another drive. Uh, so you can run on the Vikings. Their goal is to take away the pass. And so I just I think it's such a tough way for Mac Jones to come out of the second half with these matchups that he's going to face. Yeah, and for a guy who was trying to make some plays down the field too, it seems like he's trying to push his game in that direction in a way that's becoming more and more difficult to do in the NFL. He's not the only guy struggling at trying to push the ball down the field. And it's it's a different game now than it was even the first week when Mac came in. Things have changed to that drastically, which um, I, I don't think that's easy for any young quarterback to handle that kind of a change. Certainly, I think. There have been so many changes for him that um, it's not shocking he's struggling. I think it's just shocking that it's to this degree. And I think perhaps most frustrating, just given that the quarterback selected around him, um, Trevor Lawrence is seeing a little bit of a jump. I don't know. It's quite to where people thought he would be, but he's showing, yeah, if you put some competent coaching around me, I can make some throws. Obviously, starting with that Patriots game, Justin Fields has taken his game to a whole nother level. Um, and that's where I think it just is a little bit frustrating for Patriots fans to see, but at least they get to see Zach Wilson on Sunday. And uh, <laughs> if you want a quarterback, that'll make you feel good about yours. Zach Wilson right now is one of the only ones in the league playing worse. Yeah, no. And then that game, the last time they played, just watching him scramble around, look like a chicken with his head cut off. <laughs> it was wild. That I think I'll always have seared in my memory, him, rolling out of the pocket, having no idea what to do, apparently not knowing that um, the big white stripe on the side, you can just throw it past that, and then the yeah. other team can't intercept it. Wild, wild performance. I'm actually you know, very curious to see how he does in this rematch. Um, he has been very cocky, I think, in his comments, all the way going back to the press comments from that day and then this week saying nobody has any idea what's going on here, who's not in the building. Uh, seems to think that they're going to be just fine against the Patriots defense. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how much he has learned and grown from that game or if he's still going to make the same mistakes. I think that's pretty telling. Yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I was up in the nosebleeds for that game. And let me tell you, every single time he started to run, I just heard a groan from the Jets fans <laughs> around me. Every, and it was just, by the end of the game, they were laughing too. So that was something... I do want to talk about how the defense matches up with them. One more topic here on the offense, though. You mentioned change around Mac Jones. You predicted in one of your articles, Jacoby Myers is going to be wearing a new uniform next season. Do you really think the Pats are going to let him go? And is this, are you hearing something about this or is this just a guess? So I don't think that the Patriots want to let him go. He's obviously their only reliable, productive wide receiver right now. Um, at a position they just can't afford to lose him. My thinking on this is the wide receiver market has gone bonkers. Uh, we saw the deal that Christian Kirk got and some of the other wide receivers who are free agents, the deals that are looming for the Jamar Chases and Justin Jeffersons that are just going to be uh, massive record-setting, market-shifting deals. Um, and so – when you look at who the free agent wide receivers are going to be, it is just a, a really, really bad class. It's Juju Smith-Schuster and Jacoby Myers and a bunch of wide receiver threes. And so I think that there's going to be a team that has ton, tons and tons of cap space, kind of trying to get relevant again. Maybe they've got a rookie quarterback or something, and they just, they're willing to overpay because they can. And if somebody gives him the Christian Kirk contract, are the Patriots going to match it? Like unless Jacoby Myers is willing to take a steep hometown discount, which maybe he does. I have no inclination as to whether he would or wouldn't. Um, I don't think that the Patriots are going to give him the highest offer 
given the way that the wide receiver market has gone and who else is available. And so if that's the case, I just think that there's a, a decent chance he says, Hey, I'm, I'm a guy who didn't make much money on my first contract. I want to get paid now. Um, yeah. And that opportunity I think awaits him after this season. And especially if there's questions about what the future of this offense looks like, I can, I can see him kind of, Maybe saying, I don't know if I want to stick around here. I might be able to be more productive somewhere else. Obviously, I know he's close with Max. So maybe that's part of it. But Patriots with around $60 million in cap space this offseason. They have to give up a third of that to keep Myers. That's where things get really interesting there. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, while well, you got to deal with yeah. the offensive line and all the other issues you have. Yeah, a lot of issues on this team. It, it is kind of incredible that they're going to have that much cap space given how much they are spending on some of these players, especially John U. Smith's going to be around through the rest of that contract. I mean, that's you just can't get out of it. And uh, Hunter Henry's presumably going to be on the team as well next year, and that's going to be a lot of money. You're going to have about $30, $40 million tied up in just the two of them before you get to anything. So really, really just weird weird roster construction point for this team. At least it's helped out by having a couple of young studs on the defensive side of the ball. Jack Jones, Kyle Duggar, Marcus Jones coming on a little bit. I think this is, is this the best defense in the NFL? I keep going back and forth per EPA per play. Yes, it is. I don't, I'm not ready to say though, that it's the best. I think that they benefited from a Colts uh, team that was in, such complete shambles and disarray. Sam Ellinger is not an NFL quarterback. He's not even close to the best quarterback on his own team. Uh, Frank Reich was just throwing everything against the wall and hoping that something stuck, and it did not. So they benefited from that. I think as the schedule gets difficult, I would expect them to stay as a top five defense, but the Broncos, I think, could surpass them. Um, the Bills or Jets potentially could surpass them. The 49ers have played some really good defense. So I think that the Patriots are definitely in that mix with those teams. Um, but I'm just not ready to say that they're up there. And uh, it, we'll see if, you know, what happens with Matthew Judon. That's kind of a fascinating one to me as a year ago, his production dipped later in the season. Um, they clearly seem to want to avoid that again by having him play about 10% fewer snaps so far saving him up and making sure that he's healthy down the stretch his health and his ability to um, wreak havoc on the game the way that he has so far is massively massively important if he can continue to do that great then they can be a number one defense if not you know if there's natural regression that comes with having 11 and a half sacks in an absurd 10 games. Normally you'd expect regression from that. If that happens, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they slipped to, you know, number four or five or something like that. And obviously you haven't played the bills twice. That's going to be kind of the determining right. factor. You can't call yourself the top defense. If you struggle in those games, uh, this team is gone. If you, if you take out the weird wind game last year up in Buffalo, they've gone three games in a row now against the bills without forcing a punt. So that is, I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, that not a winning strategy. You do have to get the ball back at some point. That'll be the that'll be the goal on that one. That's the standard. You force a one yeah, punt, and the defense right. is improved. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you talked about Judon and how well he's played. You talked about the emergence of Dietrich Wise. I think a couple other important guys here have been Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings, guys who have really, I mean. Jennings was a liability as a rookie. You couldn't put him out there, missed last season, and now has come on as a guy you can trust to go out there and make plays, especially against the run. And Uche seems to be a little bit more disciplined when he's out there against any kind of misdirection. And he was always an explosive pass rusher. I think having some of those guys out there helps in allowing Judon to rest a little bit and getting production from more than just one spot on the line of scrimmage when it comes to rushing, rushing the passer. Certainly those two guys, but also Dietrich wise, it is wild to me. Like you don't generally see breakouts five, six years into an NFL career. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, you either a don't get the chance because teams say, Hey, you're not that valuable. You're getting older. You're gone. Um, or you're just not good enough. It, it's crazy that he 
has gotten older, gone through all these stops, played as many games as he has, and then, you know, sets his career high for sacks seven games into the season. It's absurd yeah. how good Dietrich Wise is playing uh, compared to what was expected of him. And he's playing considerably more than basically anybody else on that defensive line, uh, getting a ton of snaps, still productive. So him staying this productive is important. Like Uche, I think, gives you something and is um, a nice piece, but I think needs to be kind of that third guy behind those two. Uh, if they all stay healthy, like that's a defense that um, they're going to get after the passer, which is huge when you consider, I don't even think we've talked about the strength of this team yet, which is that secondary, um, which is surprising. And so if you give a quarterback 2.3 seconds to throw the ball and and that group of good to very good cornerbacks plus great safeties only has to cover that long, that's a recipe for a lot of success. It absolutely is. Wise is a guy who uh, last season during the Tampa Bay game Chris Collinsworth made a comment that he was the best player on the Patriots defense so we, we all kind of laughed at it at the time but it is way closer to being true than I think anybody expected it would be when he said that he's the number 26 and not that I think this is the end all be all of edge rushers on pro football focus he is higher than Judon right now um, is that true I don't necessarily know um, I, I will say we do tend to overinflate the importance of sacks. Um, yeah. it, it's more important to basically be in the backfield. And if you are consistently, the sacks will come. Um, I don't mean to take away from Judon more just to say why this has been that freaking good. Yeah, he has, he's been fantastic. And we talk about all these guys rushing the pass or the name we haven't mentioned is Christian Barmore, who's missed a lot of time with an injury. People expected the year to jump there. I know Mac Jones is going to draw the headlines, but Barmore is with all the time he's missed. This this hasn't been the season we expected from him. He is expected. He's at practice. So he should be back here after the bye. I'm, I'm really excited to see how this defense looks once he's back in there. And still just limited the last couple practices. Like I think it, the Patriots defense has been so good that there hasn't really been time to talk about disappointments or weaknesses. Um, but the interior of that D line just has not been very good. Barmore's, injury a part of it Godshaw hasn't been very good um and so I think it's just a little bit disappointing what you've gotten from there especially since Barmore seemed poised for such a good year and I think still could have a very strong second half but the knee injury is not completely behind him he's still limited in practice um I would guess he'll play but it's not a definite and so you know I, I think what he gives you is so valuable which is um, occupying more guys, if nothing else, in the interior, still having a pass rush on the interior on third downs and obvious passing situations, um, you know, just gives you another option with Wise playing this go with Judon, with Uche. Like, you've got a bunch of dudes up there getting after the passer. Uh, you just got to see it from him now, um, which is, I think, kind of disappointing. Obviously, the injury plays a big part of that. But um, what he does in the second half, I think, will be pretty telling. Yeah, I agree. And it- you talk about the disappointment factor. When you have a top 50 pick there in Barmore and then the amount of money they're spending on Godchaw, mm-hmm. and then you look at the Ravens game, the Bears game, the Packers game, that's not the performance you would expect from the interior. And obviously it's not just defensive tackle that's contributing in those, those tough games against the run, but you'd like to see a little bit better play from those guys. And, and we'll see. I, they're not going to really face an elite rushing offense, I don't think, here in the second half of the season, which should help. But yeah, I'm kind of quickly scanning. Um, we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm interested to see how much the Jets decide to run it. Perhaps scarred by Zach Wilson's last performance um, on a short week. Maybe the Vikings lean more on Dalvin Cook, uh, but any play that you give it to somebody other than Justin Jefferson also kind of feels like a sin if you're the Vikings. Um, but yeah, I, I guess they, they've already played the Browns, Ravens and bears, which are uh, three of the four best rushing teams, at least by EPA. Um, I guess the jets are up there as a top 10 EPA rushing team, which is a little bit surprising. So yeah, they, they're going to need some sort of interior push to, uh, try to slow down some of these rushing attacks. Cincinnati can run the ball too. So 
um, there are going to be some challenges that this group's going to have to step up for. Yeah, and when you play the Bills, they don't have that traditional rushing attack as much, really, but Josh Allen can always <laughs> run, and that's that's been an issue for them. I think that's where guys like Uche and Judon, Jennings will be huge. I think Jabril Peppers, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, they're all going to come into that conversation of how you slow him down, which I think Duggar and Peppers are both having very, very good years in that secondary. Peppers specifically is the one I think that yeah. surprised me. I don't know. Maybe it was my fault for my expectations not being higher. Um, but, you know, I, given how many good safeties they had, I just, A, didn't think he'd get that much playing time. And B, when he did, I didn't know, you know, is he just kind of a physical, hard-hitting guy in the box? Can he actually cover? He's been awesome. Uh, yeah. Just one of the, I think, pleasant, surprising signings, uh, doing everything from special teams to – with an injury to Duggar, with Phillips having an injury early on, like gotten a little bit more playing time than I would have guessed. And uh, I think Bill Belichick has to be very, very pleased with what he's gotten from Jabril so far. I agree. And I think the emotional aspect too, you can see that kind of spark he brings to the team. He plays with a lot of energy, sometimes too much energy at times. He got a 15-yard <laughs> penalty in that Jets game, but he brings it. Hey, and as a guy that's a Michigan football fan, let me tell you, it's oh, nice to I see him know. succeeding. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I'm working on a separate story, but ended up asking him recently just because I was curious what his recruiting process was like, because he was the number, I think, three overall recruit, only mm -hmm. behind Miles Garrett and somebody else that was just off the charts good. And I was thinking and hoping he was going to have some crazy stories of being the number three overall recruit and this guy coming after me. He didn't. He was like, yeah, I took a visit to Michigan and I really liked it more than the other schools. And so that's why I went. Uh, <laughs> so unfortunately nothing fun on that front. Oh man. Well, he's uh, he's from New Jersey here. Not, not too far from me. I remember people I went to college with too, went to high school, I think with him and used to watch him play, which was kind of crazy. And one of the most fun college careers just to watch. Oh, I mean, he really, he did everything i think at times when you watch this patriots offense you wonder if jabril peppers or marcus jones could give them a jolt on that side of the ball yeah i for i was you know i've done a story in the past and i think i might do it again with the patriots but just asking every player like hey what is your favorite play you've ever made high school college nfl whatever and i was so hoping that he would have an awesome answer of like yeah so at michigan i had this one punt return where i made 11 guys look silly and he didn't he you know, he's a little more diplomatic. He wants to be a coach one day, um, which is interesting. And I think he's working on uh, his diplomatic responses and, and not giving up too much. But I, I was so hoping that he would have some crazy anecdote about a kickoff or a punt return that he had at Michigan. I, I bet he'll have one once his playing career's done. Yeah. He might, might not. Maybe that's where that Patriots media training is coming in handy. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that's the one where he gets you. Uh, really just one quick question here on special teams that we can talk about the Pats Jets game specifically for a minute, but you see Bailey on the injury report now with the back injury, they brought in long snappers this week. Do we know what's going on with all that? Not entirely, but Bailey's concerning. I think, you know, even if he's healthy enough that, yeah. um, you got to be wondering what entirely is going on so far. They've insisted that there's not much. There's little things that they want to clean up. Nothing major talked about just his drop point and things like that. But um, whatever it is, like they just paid this guy and now they're getting um, some of the worst punting in the NFL, which is a massive problem when, you know, you are a team that leans so much on special teams as Bill Belichick does. Um, they you know, are a team that because of the way that they're built with a very good defense and so far a poor offense, like they need to be winning the field position battles. And while punt doesn't directly feel like a way that dictates where your offense gets the ball, it kind of is. If, if your opponent's starting inside their 10 and three and out like that, there's your opportunity, flip the field. Um, and they just haven't been able to do that with Bailey so far. So I keep thinking his track record should give him a little more lenience and week after week um, my confidence in that continues to drop. And so if he plays against the jets and struggles again, I almost wonder if it's time to uh, make a change and given new rules, it's really not that hard to, you can use one of your practice squad uh, call-ups to bring somebody up. 
Bailey, you never have to officially cut. He's still on the roster, just inactive for that game. Like there's a way to do it and just see what you have in somebody else or send a message or just give Bailey time to heal from whatever this newfound back injury is. Um, if this, I, I just think that could be coming down the pipeline soon. Yeah, that could be interesting. And now that he's on the injury report too, you could see a little, uh, little IR stint for him potentially yeah. too to, to save that roster spot. You basically the old baseball uh, arm fatigue for the pitcher who's struggling. Exactly. With his contract too, you basically can't cut him this year or next year, which yeah. it's kind of like and I think it's four million against the cap, something like that. So it's. It's crazy we're in a situation where we're worrying about cap hits for punters and roster building, but it's where the team is at. And the the biggest issue facing this team is probably that none of your high-value contracts are working out outside of Judon. Right. They've got to be winning on the margins right now, and just contract-wise, I mean. And those margins are not being successful. And so even though this offseason is when they should have lots of cap space, like every time you've got – Jake Bailey underperforming that takes away from maybe the little bit extra you would need to keep Jacoby Myers. Um, so those are, those are meaningful deals. Yeah. And you, you need depth to fill out a roster. It's not about the top 22 or 25. You need to be 50, 55, 60 players deep with the practice squad to really feel the good team. And that, that money adds up. Uh, let's, let's look at this game this week. Pat's jets. The second, second time around here. The spread on this one is Patriots favored by three points. Do you think that's fair? And do you expect them to cover? I saw three and a half. And when I saw three and a half, I thought, God, I'd, I'd be really tempted to take the Jets just because this is going to be such a low scoring game. I think uh, this is a game that feels like some weird things could happen. You could have a weird score. It would not surprise me if there's just an ugly odd score stemming from whether it's a safety or whatever strange play, this this just feels like a weird, ugly, low-scoring game to me. So if I could get three and a half, I'm taking the Jets. Um, and yet, like, I think that the Jets probably have the better roster, but I just feel so silly even contemplating taking the New York Jets to come to Gillette Stadium, beat Bill Belichick with a horrible quarterback, a young quarterback at that, given all Bill Belichick's prowess against those quarterbacks, coming out of the bye, like that just makes no sense to me. So even though I think if you could trade where the jets are at in their roster construction with the Patriots, I think you make that trade, even given that I'm taking the Patriots. I, I just, you know, this streak has gone on as long as it has for a reason, for reasons that extend beyond Tom Brady um, until the jets prove that they can beat the Patriots. I'm, I'm not picking the jets. Yeah, that's that's the way I lean too. Although I will say, if I were putting money on this, I wouldn't. I would just not <laughs> not bet on this game, not touch it with anything. You're not you're not going to get anything fun out of this one. Do you know what the over under is? Let me yeah, let me pull that up here. It because I would guess like this is just such a low scoring bat off. This could be one of the rare NFL games that's in the 30s, maybe like 39, 39 and a half. It started at 40 and a half and has worked its way down to 39 and a half. Okay. All right. I was going to say, if you get 40, I'd go under on that. I'd probably still go under, to be honest, on 39 and a half. Yeah. This, this might be first to six wins. It might be that kind of that. Unless it's, we're talking six. Of the, you know, we might actually get a high scoring game here with, because of the defensive points. Right. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Who is the, uh, who's the X factor for the Patriots on Sunday for them to get a win here? I think it's got to be Isaiah Wynn. Like it, these struggles have been, you know, well-documented and chronicled, but the Jets have some decent edge rushers, which is a little bit new for them. Um, their late first-round pick, like it's, it's hard to say their first-round pick because they've had so many. Uh, Jermaine Johnson is starting to come on for them. They rotate their defensive line like very few, so they are always, always fresh. Um, I think that's a huge matchup. We outlined earlier how bad Mac Jones has been against pressure. You want to, you know, have him have some success and alleviate the risk of turnovers. Well then Cole strange better be able to help against, uh, Williams up front and, um, Isaiah Wynn better be able to hold his own at right tackle. And if those two things don't happen, I think that the passing game is in for a long day. 
Yeah, and then this might be a lot like the first game, and it's going to be close with turnovers, and it's going to hinge on a play or two. Yeah, for sure. I I think that's more likely probably what happens is we're in the fourth quarter and just waiting for one of these quarterbacks to, I was going to say to make a play, or maybe it's better said wait for them um, to make a play in the wrong direction. Yeah, and that's this is, it's going to be one of those games on Sunday. It'll be a cold-weather game too so uh yeah it might be a lot of running i think if the patriots can establish the run here even a little bit david andrews being back that probably helps out a lot too to try to make things work there but that's that that'll be one o'clock on cbs i believe that should be the kickoff time for that one at gillette stadium that, that'll be the uh, the preview portion of this we're going to do a little little trivia time here this week in sports history i know pat's not here but we got to do this segment without him so uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm, I'll play a little audio here. This is this is Pat's favorite thing in the world. All right, perfect. And now for something we think you'll really like: this week in sports history. All right, I got I got two for us. I know you have one, so I can I can go first, and then we'll throw it to you. Okay. I'm go I'm going way back on one of these. Uh, this week in 1928, the Boston Garden opened. The The day we're recording this, November 17th, this is the day that it held its first event. And then the 20th, the day of the game there on Sunday, was the first time it hosted a Bruins game. I think 7,000 people attended, which was 2,000 more than the building held. And people were breaking windows and doors to get in. So that, that sounds about right. That's wild. What do you got? Um, so I, you know, didn't know exactly what direction to go with this. Didn't know if we could go beyond football. Um, so I did. My go roots are kind of in hockey. And I love looking at records and records that are just not going to be broken. And when you think records that are not going to be broken, you got to look immediately to Wayne Gretzky, who did some ridiculous, ridiculous things that uh, – you know, messing around on hockey reference or just mind boggling, like Jerry Rice type stuff. Um, and this stat of what he did this week jumped out to me. Wayne Gretzky this week in 1986 was playing in his 575th game. In that 575th game, he scored his 500th goal, not his 500th point, not his 500th assist, his 500th goal came in his 575th game. It's just insane to think about a hockey player basically having a bad night when he didn't score. Yeah, he's he is like when you create a player in the NHL video game and you're just kind of scoring like crazy. That was Gretzky. Yes. Like I think my favorite Gretzky fact is that he and his brother are the highest scoring pairing in NHL history. Yes. That's so good. <laughs> oh, I think his brother had how many? I don't even know how many points he had. It might have just been one. Yeah, just a perv. There's so many good Wayne Gretzky stats. Yeah, like you said, you can de- you can go down the hockey reference wormhole on that one. <laughs> yeah, brother Brent had four points. Wow, look at that! And then how many did Gretzky finish with? Two thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven. <laughs> so together, two thousand eight hundred and sixty-one. Thanks, Brent. It, it wouldn't be complete without Brent's contributions there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The stats uh, impossible without him. It it really is. It really is. Uh, my my fact here also uh, November eighteenth, twenty twelve, Patriots beat the Colts fifty nine to twenty four at Gillette Stadium. That was Akib Talib's first game for the Patriots. He and Alfonso Dennard each had a pick six off of Andrew Luck in that one. That was I remember watching that one. That was one heck of a game. I remember Dennard because I'm a Nebraska fan and he was oh boy. Uh, a very good cornerback for the Huskers. And, um, you know, those were different times, I suppose, when Nebraska yes. had uh, NFL quality players. Yeah, it's it's been a bit there. Hopefully things will get on the upswing for them soon. Maybe. Uh, I'm not holding my breath, but maybe. <laughs> maybe Matt Rule, who I... Uh, remember watching in drunk practices and being like, I can't believe this guy's an NFL coach. How times have changed uh, for me as a Nebraska fan. And I'd be like, Hey, Matt rule looks pretty good. Maybe he could do something. Are you, are you hopping on the urban Meyer bandwagon there? I'm not. I 
could he win? Would he win at Nebraska? Yeah, probably. The Big Ten West stinks. Uh, but I'd rather roll the dice on Matt Rule and see what happens. Yeah, you never want to sell your soul to Urban Meyer. Right. That is, <laughs> Many people have done it, and few have uh, lived to be happy about their decision. Well, you'll get wins. You just yeah. it, it comes at a price. <laughs> it comes at a steep price. <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. All right, well, uh, thank you for coming on the show here. Chad, where can, uh, where can people find your work? Uh, writing over at The Athletic. We'll have tons of sales coming up for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So if you're not a subscriber, consider uh, giving it a shot. We've got 30-plus NFL writers and writers covering um, your favorite teams from across the country. So check out The Athletic. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I've been a subscriber since I think day one of the Boston edition of it too. And I can thank Jeff Howe for that, I guess. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, you're filling big shoes there here in this, <laughs> uh, this Patriots role. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check him out. Check him out at Chad Graff on Twitter while Twitter still exists. Definitely, <laughs> definitely go do that. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We're going to have a show, uh, I believe on Sunday after the game. So stay tuned for that one, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.